Do you want to create a profitable course that changes lives? If so, lend me your ears because this is the show for you, where we pull back the curtain on what it really takes to teach and transform, not just your course, but also your business. I am your host, Janelle Allen, and this is the Zen Courses Show. Here we go. What's up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the Zen Courses Show. Today is a special episode. I have Ben Borowski and Marie Poulin. As of this recording, they have just gotten married. So Ben and Marie, welcome to the Zen Courses Show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to talk with both of you because I've I've interacted with both of you separately online and enjoyed every minute of it. So I'm excited to have both of you on the show. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and the work you do? So since there's two of you, Marie, how about you start? Yeah, so together collectively, we are okie dokie. I handle more of the design, the community marketing side of things, while Ben tends to handle a bit more of the technical side. I have a bit of a web design background, so that's kind of where I started. And now I do digital strategy and most recently helping people launch online courses. Yep. And Ben? I'm a software developer at this point. I have a fine arts degree, actually, (laughs) and uh, I'm a (laughs) self-taught programmer. I ran my own business as a consultant for about five or six years doing mobile apps, websites, and uh, a lot of uh, interactive games and things like that. And Marie and I combined our businesses after I immigrated to Canada about three years ago. So now we are a duo. We still kind of do what we did prior with our separate businesses, but now we kind of operate parallel to one another. So our work is still pretty separate, but we, you know, we obviously cross paths at some point for business purposes. Same goals, just different, uh, different pieces of the business. I'm always jealous of couples who have, you know, complementary skills. <laughs> it's definitely something that I think would be nice. So where are you two originally from? Marie, I know you're Canadian. Can you tell me more? Yeah, I grew up in Ottawa and then went to school in Toronto and then uh, moved to Vancouver about seven years ago. And just recently now we're in Half Moon Bay, BC. Okay. And Ben? I'm British by birth, American raised, and I just moved to Canada. So I'm working on my third citizenship <laughs> now. Collecting passports. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I did not know you were you were British by birth. Very cool. So it is time for the rapid five. I've got five quick questions to help listeners get to know you. And since there are two of you, we're going to switch off. Are you ready? Sure. All right. So Ben, this is for you. Paper books or audiobooks? Paper. Yeah. Okay. A man after my own heart. Marie. <laughs> Marie, how do you feel about pigeons? Indifferent. <laughs> All right. Ben, what is your favorite condiment? Uh, hot sauce. All right. I have to ask Marie that question too. Specifically Frank's. All right. I'm a Cholula person, but you know, it's cool. Everybody has their own thing. Oh man. Favorite condiment. Hummus? Beat hummus. Let's do that. Hummus isn't a condiment. Come on. <laughs> Hummus is hummus isn't a condiment. Did you say beet hummus? That is not a condiment. So what if you put it on everything? <laughs> I guess if you okay, so you apply it as a condiment in your in your culinary life. Okay, I I will go with it. Number four for Ben, if you could have one superpower but no one knew about it, what would it be? Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, I'd say it's some kind of healing power. Okay. Okay. And Marie, you get the last one. What is the hardest lesson you have learned as an entrepreneur thus far? The hardest lesson? Right for the jugular. Um, (laughs) I think failure is inevitable. Just like, yeah, I don't know if that's really a lesson. It's just more 
learning to be comfortable that you're the only way to learn is to fail constantly. Yeah, I think that counts. I think a lot of people are afraid of of that. So definitely counts. All right. So we touched on it a little bit when we started. How did you two come to do the work you're doing now collaboratively? Can you tell us about your journey and, and how that came to be? I think it, it probably started in my web design years. Most of the clients that I was working with, the ones that were doing the most successful had some kind of digital product, you know, programs, ebooks. And I started noticing the difference between the clients that had these sorts of online programs and the ones that didn't. Mm. So as a web designer, I'm getting to see behind the scenes of these successful launches. And I was like, all right, these guys are onto something. You know, I'm noticing a pattern here. And so Ben and I started having these conversations about whether or not there was an easier way for us to build out these online programs for people. Because we were doing a lot of custom work, you know, integrating with uh, PayPal and MailChimp and notifications and, and, you know, dripping online content. And, you know, as you know, there's lots of WordPress plugins that do that. And yeah. at the time, there wasn't really a lot of, I mean, there wasn't really any other platforms that we could find, I don't know, maybe five years ago when we were first kind of thinking about this. So we started toying with the idea of, you know, do we build something custom ourselves that we could use for our clients? And that's kind of where the idea for our platform first started. But before we were there, you know, we were doing this in a much more custom capacity. So I just, you know, got to learn and see behind the scenes of people who were creating courses. And then I started thinking, surely there's got to be something that we could be teaching from all the work that we're doing in the web design side of things, the digital strategy. And so the idea of digital strategy school was born. So I started creating my own course at the same time that Ben was sort of, you know, tinkering with, is there an easy way for us to help automate this for our clients? So they were both kind of happening around the same time, but I went, you know, full steam ahead with digital strategy school and I reduced the amount of client work that I was taking on. I went down to about 60% of my client capacity while I was building up this course. And that was kind of the, the beginning of this. All right. Do we double down on all things online courses? And that started to become our way of life now with our business. So happy to chat more about any any part of that, whether it's Digital Strategy School or Doki. Yeah. So Ben, I'm curious for you as a software developer, what made you think online courses, okay, this is something that we should focus our energy on? Um, I think it came out of the success of Marie's program and how quickly she was able to transition to a product-based business from um, web design. And the kind of groundswell of the community that she had developed kind of reinforced that notion that there was some potential revenue streams in sort of extending out your service design business into a product or a community or almost a membership community. Within a year, we were able to sort of replace all of the service-based income that Marie was doing via sales of um, Digital Strategy School and the mentorship program. And so we, we kind of had, you know, I, for me, it was more, it was an interest in, you know, building out a big SaaS and seeing what we could do with that. And also, you know, the, the idea that we could start transitioning some of Marie's programs over to this software that we were, we were building as a kind of an experiment to see, could we build a, a SaaS based business that also had products involved? Okay. Gotcha. So before we get to the next question, Marie, as someone coming from the web design world, what were some challenges that you had when you got started with online courses, either for your clients or for yourself? Oh, I mean, I had no idea. I'm not an instructional designer at the time. I didn't know anything about where to start with online courses. 
So actually, the first thing that I did was I signed up for a course with Brianne Dick. I think it was called Transform Your Course at the time. And that that really um, opened up my eyes and realized actually that my audience wasn't who I thought it was. So originally, I was going to you know, try and teach the clients that were coming to me. I was thinking, you know, how, how can I teach everyday business owners about digital strategy, which was a little too vague. And what I realized through taking Brianne's course was like tapping into the audience that you already have. And the audience I already had and was connected to through Facebook groups was other designers. And I realized that other designers were looking for the skill set that I was, you know, already doing with my clients. So she kind of helped me get way more specific with who I was actually solving a problem for. So that was super helpful. I realized I was going way, way, way too big. Um, you know, I basically started off with a six month mentorship program. Uh, so I, le- I learned a ton of things that I wouldn't do again. <laughs> you know, I always tell people now, you know, start small and start with the first kind of rough and ready version of your course. So, you know, it took me almost a year from the very first inklings of the idea to actually finishing the content. But one thing that I did do that kind of changed the game for me and is, is an approach that I do recommend for my clients. Start before you're finished your content for sure. Get the idea out there. And I'm sure you know this too, you know, getting your sales page out there, starting those conversations well before you're done the content. So I had an outline. I had an idea of what the content was going to be. And I just started putting it in front of people sooner than later. So by the time I actually started the course, it was really just a Facebook group. And that allowed me to just kind of hear the conversations, hear what people were actually asking for. And I think if I hadn't done that Facebook group, the course would have been way, way different. I think it would have been far too advanced for where people were at. So that actually kind of helped me, you know, bring it down to earth and simplify and realize it didn't need to be this big monstrous. I mean, of course, it still ended up being a big monstrous thing, (laughs) but I was able to just make sure that the content and the direction was way closer to what people were actually asking for. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us are are guilty of we build the things that we think people want without those conversations. Yeah, Without getting their input. Yeah. That was one of the big learning lessons for us was we were thinking of this uh, content driven development where you create the content and then, you know, the community develops around that. But we kind of switched it on its head at that point and started thinking about how we can do community driven development. So build your community, build your, your, your network. And then the content kind of just gets pulled up from that network of people. They basically tell you what they want to learn and then you just write it and they're ready to buy it right away because you're basically just writing the content, you know, tailored. It for sounds them. like you're reading their mind, but you're, you've just been listening to what they're asking for, right? <laughs> yes. I literally just had this conversation with Steph Crowder from Fizzle. So I love this. I feel like this is the theme of my day. So there's a couple of questions that pop up. The first one is, did you know to take that approach? Because was it intuitive to flip things on his head and, and focus on community-driven development? Or if not, what was the thing that made you say, hold up, we're doing this the opposite way. Let's change it up. I think after going through Brianne's course and just realizing that I really wanted, wanted or needed to kind of niche down and get way more specific and realizing that I already had access to these people in Facebook groups, I think the first thing that I did, which was, you know, the scariest thing is putting yourself out there and saying, hey, friends, you know, I'm hearing X, Y, Z. I have, a, you know, an idea for a course that covers this. Is this of interest to you? And yeah. for some reason, that was the scariest, scariest thing. It's risky to put yourself out there and see, are people willing to pay for this? Is it just something that they think is cool, but they're not willing to put their money down? So I made the ask in the Facebook groups and the response was overwhelming. And I decided, OK, well, clearly there's something here. Put that 
you know, sign up page together really, really quickly. And as soon as I had, I think I had 30 signups in a couple of days and I thought, okay, there's something here. So why not go where your audience already is instead of, you know, pushing a boulder uphill and, and trying to kind of drum up interest around your idea. So, you know, we understand the power of content marketing. And this is something I'm always encouraging my clients to do. If you have an idea for a course, I want to see you talking about it. I want to see you blogging about it. I want you to be, you know, dropping these ideas in Facebook groups and test the response even long before you write that first module. So I think it was kind of learned. I'd also seen a number of my friends that were also releasing courses and they were releasing them long before they were ready. Like I had a friend of mine that had an online boot camp and she had put the outline out there and basically put the schedule out and launched the course even before she had finished it. And at the time I thought she was kind of crazy, but it actually gave her accountability. It gave her, you know, a deadline to shoot for. And I know I personally, once I've given people a date and I say that I'm going to do something, (laughs) it holds me accountable and I follow through. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's an important point to drive home because I know that a lot of new course creators feel this pressure to have it all figured out for their first course to be perfect. And it's such a trap because what I'm hearing you point out is it's so true that starting with something rudimentary is not only going to benefit you by giving you the opportunity to learn about your audience, but it also helps you to know what to create and it helps you to avoid expending energy creating something that isn't really what your learners want. Absolutely. I mean, like now we have a course called Run Your Learning Launch and the whole idea is forget the signature program. Let's just get the first minimum viable course out there. Yep. Why not practice and, you know, do all the learning and the failing and the awkward missteps on a very first version of your course that people won't remember instead of trying to build this amazing signature program without that feedback from people? Yeah, I think a lot of us want to avoid that feedback. It's uncomfortable to kind of hear that maybe that module didn't resonate or maybe there's too much content here or people aren't following through and they're dropping off. But, you know, that information is only going to make your course better. So I just try to encourage people to think of it in terms of this is just version one. You know, this is version one and there's going to be a version 10, but this is just version (laughs) one. You got to start somewhere. Exactly. Okay. well, this is kind of a good introduction to talking about something that I know that you and I both feel strongly about. We have strong opinions about some of the myths that are out there about online course creation. What are some of the biggest myths that you want to steer people clear of? Probably the biggest one is that, you know, courses are going to replace your one-to-one services, Mm. that you're going to, you know, overnight turn your $30,000 a year service business into a six-figure product business where you don't have to interact with clients anymore. (laughs) That's probably one of the biggest ones that I've seen. Yeah. Or I think in general, people try to switch to education maybe even too soon in their business. Mm. It's the same phenomenon where people are coming right out of college and they're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and they start their own business. And some people have success at that. But if you haven't gone through the steps to, to work at a company and work at a larger company and kind of see how market works and how do I do contracts? How do I do client services? How do I do, you know, account management, all that stuff that you have to learn on the go. You're going to elongate your learning process like through the beginning of your entrepreneurship. I think people do the same thing with courses is that they're seeing that, you know, there's kind of a gold rush for online education right now. And they're saying like, well, I'm just going to make a course because I know a few things rather than I have 15 years or 10 years or five years of experience doing this. Like you're, if you've been doing something for 15 years, you're going to know the pitfalls, you know, where people are struggling. 
And it's just going to be easier for you to do those interviews with other people that are in the industry and understand where you've come from so that that the content's just going to come naturally out of that for the most part. You have got that experience. So I think people start too early, but then, you know, it's funny that there's that imposter complex thing where the more time that you've put in, the more experience that you have, the more afraid you are to start. So That's you've so got to like, you've got <laughs> don't start too too late, but don't start yeah. too soon. That's so true. And I like how you related that to coming straight out of college with no experience in a particular market and attempting to be an entrepreneur in that space. It makes me think about, you know, the three years that I ran my instructional design agency. I wouldn't have been able to be successful at that if I hadn't been working as a senior instructional designer in corporate prior to that and learning how things worked and contracts and, you know, just what was expected. And to your point about, you know, people wanting to rush into online courses, that's something that I have noticed as well. And I think that part of that is, is that passive income myth of sitting on the beach and having all of this money come in, you know, it's just not a thing. It's not, it's not realistic. And wanting to skip or leapfrog the introductory work of getting to know your audience, which is so crucial. And ultimately the funny part about it is, that part, that hard part of getting to know your audience is what helps you become a better course creator. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. That's the key step. And I think Marie has referred to, I've heard her call it, I'm not sure where this phrase came from, but it's not passive income, it's leveraged income. So you are leveraging existing assets and those assets may be, you know, extensive experience in service design or just experience working with people and experience with teaching. So you're you're definitely putting in work. It's not just like a set it and forget it yeah. kind of thing. As we've found with our software and stuff, the making the thing, it, creating the content is step one of 99. You know, it's <laughs> the ongoing communication that you have with the people who are buying it, marketing, like all this stuff is 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 99% of the work. Even though creating content feels like a big part of the work, it's step one. You know, there's so much more to do to we'll to maintain research. that passive income. That's you know? so true. So true. Well, again, that's a, a perfect segue into the next question. So what is your course development process like? How do you start planning your course? Um, so we always tell people start with the problem or start with the audience first. Understand your learners. We get people to build empathy for their learners. For me, a lot of that is creeping around on social media. I'm, you know, Googling, I'm in forums. I'm, I'm really listening to what people are asking for. So everything starts with understanding the audience first, mm -hmm. validating the idea in the market too, just seeing what else exists out there in that space. Is there anything else out there? I know a lot of people sometimes get nervous when there's other courses out there in the same space, but I say that's usually a good idea that there's something there. If nobody else out there has <laughs> done anything related to what you're doing, it might yeah. be a little concerning. So I say, you know, what's, what's your angle? What's your sort of unique or unfair advantage? What do you bring to the table that's a little different than how other people might approach it? Is yours more of a coaching program than a course? You know, what unique perspectives can you bring to it? So anyway, I get people to define the solution. We use a spreadsheet, kind of beastly spreadsheet that gets people to outline all of the content, but not just from a content perspective. I'm sure, as you know, as a you know course developer, thinking in terms of action. So when I first did digital strategy school, I had topics like money or proposals, which are huge and vague and aren't really action related. Right. So in reworking the content, it's instead of money, selling your services. I usually get people to outline all the content, thinking of those modules as actions. So what should someone be able to do by the end of this mm -hmm. module? Great. That's the name of your module. So setting some learning goals, choosing your course formats, 
creating the content, running a learning launch. So not just waiting till you've created all this perfectly curated content to launch it, but I usually get people to hand invite, you know, five, 10 people tops and just run a pilot version of it and build the content as you go. And I tell people to be honest with, you know, the people that you're inviting, let people know that the content is in development, that you're working on this thing, that you're valuing that beta feedback with those people. And uh, I think that sort of takes the pressure off and gets people to build it as they go in a sort of low risk environment. Yeah. And in the meantime, too, I get people to get that sales page up sooner than later. It can be a really simple, simple landing page, but it's just something to start testing the interest and make sure that there's a wider audience than this handpicked group of people. And another thing I tell people is if you can't find five to 10 people that you could hand invite, you may not have a large enough audience to do this thing. Yeah. Very true. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. One is the point you just made about if you don't have the numbers, if you can't reach out and find five to 10 people, then maybe you need to focus on your audience. Is that something that you've encountered with clients? And what are some strategies that you've recommended for people to do to grow their audience to a point where it makes sense to launch a course? I've definitely had clients that have sort of either backtracked or, or changed their mind or realized that they weren't ready for a course which I think is great, actually. I think it's it's great to be willing to let go of what does this thing need to be? Does it need to be a course right now? Let's take a step mm. back. Maybe that's your one-year or two-year goal. I've had clients that you know haven't had any kind of brand or any kind of online presence. And I'm saying, you need to at least, at the very least, get your ideas visible. Is that a blog? Usually I recommend that people have some sort of blog where they can be... This is why I refer to it as a gold rush because <laughs> I went through the same thing as a mobile app developer in like 2010, 2011, where we had clients coming to us that we were doing websites and marketing campaigns for. And they would say like, yeah, we need a mobile app. And I would say, why? <laughs> I don't know. Like everybody's doing it. Like we need to increase our income. Like they wanted to make, you know, apps and, and stuff like that just because that was everybody, everybody's one. doing it. Yeah. You heard you needed one. So I think that's where everyone's currently thinking that they need to be putting their resources like, well, we got to we got to be making courses because like that's yeah. this is where it's at right now. And it's like, well, you know, you need to think of it in, uh, from a service design perspective as like, how does that fit into your existing services? And, you know, how do you transition? Are you going to transition to mostly courses or is it another is it just an addendum to your existing offerings? The work that we do as a consultancy now is is helping them identify where a course is going to fit into their and if, right? Yeah, and yeah. if it's even right. makes sense. I, I, I'm definitely on the ruthless side about telling people like, <laughs> no, this is, a, this is a bad idea. Like this doesn't make sense for your business or some, some people it does. So I think it's great that even though sometimes we don't get the business because they're not going to work with us, it's great that we're getting people to not, you know, it's the same thing with apps because we launched like three or four games at my old company and they were like massive failures. And, and you think about the the income that goes into creating these things that that have no audience that you just put it out there in the world. And it's kind yeah. of a field of dreams type thing. And I really think that a lot of people are doing that right now with courses that they're mm. just, they're spending years creating uh, content years. Yeah. and then nobody is buying it because they don't think about creating for need first. Or if they're building all that content sort of in secret, you know, like you're building a course, but you're not sharing those ideas in some capacity yeah. in a public yeah. way, right? Whether it's through a blog or video or whatever, you're not going to create an audience because people don't even know what you stand for. So the first thing I tell people is like, we need to get your ideas out there in a public way. Usually that is a blog. 
could be a YouTube channel, could be just getting people more active and sharing their ideas on social media. But to start from scratch and, um, you know, I had a client come to me that wanted to create a very, very large online course similar to, you know, Marie Forleo's B-School, but they hadn't really done the services yet. So they were, you know, brand new business starting from scratch. Like, well, great. We need to make sure you guys are actually doing these services with people first because you are going to learn about what people are asking for, but you can't just build a course overnight before anybody even knows what you do. You're not even showing up on search engines when people are searching for your your keywords. So I think, you know, content is usually the first place to start, like public content, yeah. sharing your ideas. And that, that's why that empathy mapping stage in the in the beginning is especially important, especially with our clients in, in that you need to figure out like the type of person that they are. Like, are they the kind of person that's going to even be able to be public in, with their, you know, yeah. with their teachings yeah. and stuff like right. that, especially in like in my industry, I guess, with the software development, you know, there's a handful of people that are extremely visible with their programs and do are very successful. But there are a lot of very introverted people that they see courses and they think like, oh, I could teach. But then like the amount of public facing work and interfacing mm. in with actual humans that you need to do to be able to really build a community is a lot of work. And I, I'm extremely introverted. So that that's it takes a, years to be comfortable, yeah. so right? You're comfortable in your own skin and your own voice. And so I just think it's so important for people to do that work long before you're trying to sell your course, right? Because I'm sure you know this too, creating the course is just one piece, but actually selling it, getting it out there, hustling, like that takes a certain amount of confidence, a certain amount of notoriety, people knowing what you're up to. And that is not an easy thing to do if you're scared of being out there on the internet. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I think about the fact that when I started Zen Courses, people would email me all the time and say, do you have any courses? And I would say, no, because I just started, you know, I wanted to spend, I spent a year getting to know my audience and what was important to them. And I think that, you know, speaks to that. But there were two things that I wanted to point out that you said in case people missed them. And the first one was knowing whether or not a course makes sense for your business. I love that you said that. I do the same thing with my clients. You know, we have those discovery calls to figure out if it even makes sense. Because for a lot of people, they assume, like you said, there's that gold rush. Oh, courses are so hot right now. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. But is this really what you need to be doing right now? Maybe you need to focus on services. Maybe there's something else entirely that makes sense for your business. Just spending time to get to know yourself and your business and your goals is so important. And then the other thing is really just making sure that if you do decide that you are creating a course, making sure that you take those steps to really understand your audience and the points. So you talked about the empathy map. I also talk about a learning journey in my course and really understanding your learners and where they are. And again, you can't do that if you haven't spent the, the face time with people. So we've also kind of talked around marketing. So let's dig into that a little bit. What are some things that you think course creators can do, especially if they don't have that large following, that email list? What can they do to begin to market their online course? Let's say they have a small list, but they're feeling like they need more reach. I've seen different tactics work well for different people. And again, some of that depends on how comfortable people are online. But I've seen people start YouTube channels. Webinars are a great one. I know not everyone is super comfortable on video doing webinars. I've seen people do free challenges. Sometimes, whether it's mm -hmm. a 10-day, you know, follow along with this 10-day challenge, just something where you're giving away massive, massive value for free, 
without any expectation mm-hmm. in return, I think is a pretty, a pretty major one. I think the success of your original program, the Digital Strategy School, came out of being known personally for helping people. And I've seen this in a lot of the open source software communities where a person who is just out there contributing to the community and constantly helping people and like somebody has a question, they're always there. And, and I, you just, your, your brain, you know, you're locked into that person as like, that's the person that also always shows up to help people. So, you know, building that rapport in the communities that you're, that you're trying to reach is a really good tactic. Then when you say like, oh, yeah, well, I'm rolling up all of my education stuff and the learnings and stuff that I've been helping people through into a program, you know, there's that whole thing where if you see somebody seven times or whatever, then they're in your head. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, creating that rapport for yourself prior to shipping something, I think, is is really important. And I think it's tough because people kind of want the quick fixes. They want the, you know, the tactics, like what's the campaign I can run that's going to increase all my followers. But I know for me, it was... I mean, I can say it was almost two years of just being really, really active in a number of Facebook groups where my audience was. And I didn't have a product at the time. Like I was just talking to other designers. I'm like sharing my proposals. Like here's what works for me. And people just got to know me in those groups. And so that it's like playing the long game, right? It's just being really generous and helpful in your communities. Like if you have value to share and you're being helpful for people, you're going to get known in that space. It takes time. You're giving your time away for free every day in small ways. It's a commitment, but it works. Yeah, I think personally think that networking too and joint ventures is is Mm. one of the keys because you can spend, you know, thousands of dollars sending traffic from Facebook or something to your course, but none of that, none of that stuff is, it's not validated traffic. But if you were to like form a partnership with somebody that was, had a ton of renown already and, and, and they mention you, Mm -hmm. you just have to get a mention from a large player to, to make enough sales to support yourself individually. So I'd say not even, not even large players too, but I think, for example, we do a lot of podcast interviews um, and I've done, you know, joint webinars with people. And so just doing these you know, small pieces, like it doesn't have to be huge, mm-hmm. you know, podcast interviewers. Yeah. But if you do a number of them, I think at one point I was doing two a month with different audiences as well. And a number of those people, I think one of our biggest Doki customers came from a podcast interview where we were talking about Digital Strategy mm-hmm. School. You never know where those people, yeah. you know. It, yeah. was, it was actually a, another designer that was like, oh, they make a course launching platform. I actually need that right now. And that turned into like that customer making $200,000 with our platform. So that was... It was a huge win for them was, and it, it was, was a win for a total, us. total rando link and that was pretty bonkers. <laughs> That's so true. Early on in the DSS thing, you also had, did a Divi podcast. Right, that was huge, um, yeah. The Divi podcast was really interesting because Divi is a WordPress framework used by tons and tons and mm-hmm. tons of designers. And Marie's making a course that basically is business school for designers. So being on that podcast, even though it's like a programmy type podcast was like a really awesome sales driver because yeah. you have a ton of designers that listen to those types of uh, WordPress type stuff, even though it's kind of not really related to what she was teaching. That was a really good thing for people to just find her and say like, oh, like actually this sounds really interesting, even though it's not what yeah, I was I like listening what, I about. like her ideas. I like what she's saying. I like what she's up to. Right. So yeah, I think, you know, as you touched upon, just t- tapping into other people's audiences. If you don't have your own, you're going to have to be valuable for other people's audiences. Yeah. And you guys are dropping so many bombs. I'm just sitting here like, okay, I want to make sure I I come back to that. Just the idea of leveraging other people's audiences, but also 
making sure that it's a fit, right? That's a key thing. When you talked about the Divi podcast, that that made sense. And then there's that mutual value. I think that when it comes to marketing, and you touched on this earlier, Marie, is that people are looking for that golden tactic that's going to make them get 20,000 subscribers. And the reality is there's no one size fits all tactic. You have to spend the time figuring out what makes sense for your business. And you can try those tactics, but what works for one person may not work for you. So I love that you gave a a lot of different options. And then it really just comes down to putting yourself out there, which is, I think, a theme that you've said, Marie, several times. So we are down to the final three questions. The first one is an easy one. What is next for you? Anything exciting coming up? Well, for Marie, you're wrapping up the Run Your Learning Launch program. And the plan for that is to actually integrate that into our software at some point so that when somebody signs up for our platform, they actually get access to that program right in the platform. So it's been our intent for a long time to roll in some kind of education component to the software. Because basically, we have this situation now where we get people who sign up for the software, they do their 30-day trial, and then they email at the end and go like, yeah, I didn't do anything. I didn't write any content, um, so I need to cancel. And then I'll just say, you know, we'll extend your trial, whatever, as many months as you want. Just Mm -hmm. keep working on it and let us know when you're ready to launch. So we're trying to increase the value to... Or just getting people ready to yeah. to succeed, yeah. right? Because people people yeah. sign up, they're all excited, and then they're like, oh, wait, building a course takes a really long time. Whoops. <laughs> and we're like, can we help them get that first rough version of their course out the door yeah. sooner than later? And then the other thing that we're going to be kind of taking a bit of a pivot the rest of the year to focus on creating more ad hoc content creation and uh, adding a bunch of mentorship tools to the platform. So we want to create um, the ability for people to manage mastermind groups and do one-on-one calls with their learners within our software. That's been a big part of how uh, a lot of coaches have used our software. And that was one of the things where we basically didn't take our own advice when we made this software and we, you know, we spent a year making it and then launched it. And we didn't get enough people validating the direction that we were taking for the first year. So now, now that people have been using it for a year, we have all this feedback that people, you know, want to use it to run a, a full, yeah. a full suite of, of business tools. So that's our next step is adding some of that stuff. Cool. It's a constant struggle because we, you know, we have to. We're a tiny team. We're a tiny team and, and we, we, you know, we compete with heavy hitters in terms of people who are privately funded and things like that. So it's a balance between making things that are unique to us, but also like having similar features to the larger players so that we can at least get some new customers. So like what makes you different? It's yeah. like we have to be able to answer that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a balancing yeah. act. This is our learning launch for yeah, our right. first SaaS. So <laughs> I have a, a few ideas for 2018 for different applications that I'm going to be working on. So, Well, before we move on, I love that you said we're still figuring it out. We didn't do what we tell people to do in validating direction and all of that. I think that's important to highlight because there's so much pressure for entrepreneurs or software developers to feel like they're going to nail it the first time. And it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you figure it out as you go. So no, I mean, if I don't, if I don't make a huge mistake once a day, I'm like, some, something's, <laughs> something's, something's going right. on here. It's a little fishy. Coasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this is why we're so passionate about some of this stuff, too. It's like, don't make the same mistakes we did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought about that. Yep. 
All right. So next question, where can people find out more about you and your work? People can check out doki.io or uh, weareokidoki.com. Both Ben and I are pretty active on Twitter. So I'm Marie Poulin on Twitter and uh, at, at type one error for, for Ben. Gotcha. All right. So the last question for both of you, I'd like you both each to answer. We'll start with you, Marie. What's your why? Why do you get up and do this work? Um, for me, I, I think it's just about connection. I need to connect with people. I want to understand people. I, I love working with people. I love finding out why people do what they do and how they work. So I just do it because I, I just love people. Gotcha. And Ben, what's your why? What makes you get up and do this work every day? I feel like I'm, I mean, from my art background, I'm a creator. I like to make things. I like to tinker and I like to solve problems. And I like to work with people and take pressure off off of their lives and their businesses and help them, you know, fix those problems. Uh, The thing that lights me up is, you know, having somebody who's in a panic mode and I can quickly diffuse that situation and and have them be like, I can't believe that was that easy to to fix. Yeah, I like problem solving. Gotcha. Well, you two have such great energy. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for checking out that interview with Ben and Marie. I want to give a special shout out to Ben and Marie for coming on the show and sharing their expertise, their experience, their story with all of us. It's always great to chat with those two. They just bring so much positive, peaceful energy. So thank you so much once again, Ben and Marie. And if you enjoyed that interview and wanted to learn more about what Ben and Marie are up to, because they have made some changes to their business lately, you can find that information out about how to find them and how to check out what they're, ugh, I can't talk, how to check out what they're looking, ugh, okay, how to check out what they are up to. You can find that by going to zencourses.co slash zero Six four. Once again, that is zencourses.co, not .com, slash 064 for episode 64, which this is. All right, that is my time. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for another great episode. I am Janelle Allen, and this has been The Zen Courses Show. Until next time.